0: got a great sound tone to play, nice
1: to thanks oh, Hello. <laughs> Have You ever a lady. Uh, we are a technical problem. Are we on? We... <laughs> yeah. We're on there. But can I swear. <laughs> Shit! Oh, yeah. Welcome to Crunch and Roll. I'm John Fox, known to some as Foxy, and did a little bit of work on the wireless for a couple of decades, mainly on commercial stations. Tiny bit of work for the BBC as well. Now, of course, completely out of it, but still love it as much as you. Now, we love doing this podcast. We get to chat to some great people from the radio industry, past and present, and usually the present people tend to be a little bit more reserved in what they choose to divulge about their career because, of course, they want to keep their jobs. But Tim Litchfield bucks that trend in his own words. This is no hold-barred, by the way. And it's fantastic. Ever been told you can't say your own name right? Tim has. Ever warmed up for Chris Tarrant? Tim has. Ever found out your radio station being closed down from a voicemail whilst being on holiday? Tim has. You ever sent a text about your boss to your boss by mistake? Tim has. Ever had to turn down a gig at a national station to save your health? You guessed it. Now, before we start, just a quick reminder that if you do enjoy the podcast and you are a regular listener, would be grateful if you could support us on Ko-fi. Just go to ko-fi.com slash crunch and roll. Um, and thanks to everybody who supported us so far. We genuinely are so grateful. Thank you, including Stuart Clarkson. Adam Fawcett, Mark Forrest, the great Steve Tetley-Taylor, video ace Jim Carewood, the best train driver on the East Coast, Neil Rudd, top man, and the mysterious Paul, Darren and Nick. Thank you so much. Okay, there's plenty of strong language and some adult content in this episode. It is a classic. Let's crunch and roll. Oh yeah. Tim, how are you? I'm
0: really well, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. I I was driving into our little studio in Solihull tonight to record this episode, thinking to myself, have we ever met? Because, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you and I shared the same passion for booze um, during our presenting days, that maybe I've met you, but I just can't remember because I was absolutely trollied.
0: I don't think we've ever met in person, but we've definitely had a we had a crossover when a certain station turned green, and then you went on to that, but I don't think we've ever actually met face-to-face.
1: Well, can I just congratulate you for being the first guest, who you're currently having a beer whilst we're recording this, so Tim, I salute you. Well, cheers to you. <laughs> All right, so um, I'm going to be honest, as always, um, our research is a little bit sketchy, so please do, you know, take me mm-hmm. along on your journey, but you were born from around these parts in the
0: Midlands. Yeah, uh, so I'm from the second poshest part of the Midlands, so you're in Solihull, uh, Sutton Coalfield is where I'm from. Grew up listening to a station called BRMB, some of you, the, the the original, not the, the new version. Um, so that was the station that made me just think, I really want to get into radio. And that's basically the start of my journey. So there's a couple of as we all did, I think like RSLs, hospital radio, all that. But that's probably the boring stuff. And then managed to get into BRMB at the tender age of 16 years old. And then that was my first gig, and uh, it's gone downhill from there. 16 years old. Mm. So so yes. Yeah. So, so I, how did how did I, that happen? I kind, of, I kind of I think I lied and I blagged it. Uh, like most of my career, really. So I started at Hospital Radio, so Sandwell Hospital Radio in the Midlands again. I think I was like 13, but I told them I was a little bit older because you had to be. So worked there and did the usual kind of stuff. Then I got involved with a, an RSL or a couple of RSLs uh, in Birmingham. And one of them, they asked me to run the radio station. And by this point, I think I was like 14 or 15. <laughs> and again, I blagged it and I just did it. And it worked. Uh, we never got the license, but there it was. Uh, and then I worked for um John Myers. So that so I did a station in Sutton Coalfield. That was an RSL as well. And he kind of just kind of took my hand and he kind of got me into how to present properly and how to run a radio station, which was good. And then BRMB did this thing uh for many years called Search for a Star. And it was basically an X Factor type thing where you went on stage and you would talk over an intro of a song or read the travel or a bulletin in front of the big bosses and uh, then you would get like work experience. So I kind of got my way in um, just on the edge of getting in and then um, never disappeared and that was it. So 16 years old I mean, you're getting paid cash to present,
1: I guess, at this age. Can can you remember how much your first show fee was?
0: Uh, so I got, I never broke it down because it, it upset me. I got paid £6,000 per year. <laughs> That's what I got paid. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, but for me, it was like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, I'm on the station I grew up listening to. So six grand at, at that age, I was like, this is pretty good. Uh, and on the side, I did have to kind of, uh, wash pots and pans at um PGI Fridays and stuff and wash caravans just to kind of pay the bills, even though I was living at home. But yeah, six grand. And I was well chuffed with that. It
1: was really good. Do you know? So I, I was like yourself, I was very fortunate to start my professional career at the at the station that I grew up listening to. And I remember walking in at that on that first day and being surrounded by presenters that I adored. Was it the same for you when you first walked through the doors at BR&B? You were surrounded by the likes of of Les Ross.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was so, it was such an eye opener. I was so nervous and I was really shy back in the day. So it was, it was amazing. So the one, the couple of presenters that I remember listening to the most uh, were people like Jezza uh scott hughes um who when i first met was uh or i thought was very arrogant again he was very shy so it came across as a different way we're now best mates um les ross of course and tammy goodin uh ricardo he's got a different name now and there are all these different big names that you just like i will never get to meet them and there i was in that building with these just legends in my eyes and it was just it was it was truly astonishing so I've got to ask.
1: So the first show you you do was that was yeah. that overnights? Was it? Of course, it was.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was. It was. It was by mistake. So because I was in the building anyway, so I was doing like traffic and travel, not reading on air, but I was writing the bulletins for the presenter. And then uh, it, I was. I used to just stay behind uh, in the station and make demos and stuff. And I just, you know, reluctantly put one on, on the boss's desk. And it was a shift that they needed covering Christmas Eve into Christmas Day. And it was midnight till 6am. And the boss just looks like, you know what, we've got no one. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. So that was my first first ever gig. And that was in 90, 98, 99, I believe.
1: So I've got to ask where the because many people who are listening to this will will remember you as as Tiger
0: Tim. Where did the Tiger bit come from, Tim? So originally it was it was just me um, and my real name. And then it was so Paul Jackson was my boss. He was the first guy that gave me the, the gig. And I'll always be um be honored about that. And then um he pulled me into the office one day and I thought, oh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a bollock in here, surely. And he went, so I won't do the impression. Uh, he said, um, so I've been thinking about your name. And um, my, my, my father, he uh, did the same to Neil Fox and decided to call him Dr. Fox and Foxy. So I've been thinking about this. And I thought, how about we call you Tiger Tim? What do you think <laughs> about that? And I went, what? Uh, and he said yeah yeah honestly I think it will work it's alliteration it's a good you know it's a good brand it'll be a good brand for you you know you're the up and coming kid and we'll call you Tiger Tim and it'll be a name that really sticks and because of my age and uh, so naive I just went yeah fine Uh, and that was it and that was uh, I think I think the background was it. he he heard my girlfriend at the time who was on like work experience at the station she was in age so it's all good uh, she I Tim, we, we weren't
1: questioning that, but carry on, <laughs> that's not the well, reputation you know, you've got. i got got got.
0: be careful. Um, so, so yeah, so I think she, she heard no, he heard her call me Tiger in the office, and he was like, and he laughed, and he's just like, that's brilliant. And then it was a couple of days after he went, I'm gonna call you Tiger Tim on air, and I was like, okay. That's fine. If it worked for Foxy, it'll work for me. Not you, Foxy, but uh, you know. the
1: real one, the real one, the successful <laughs> one. So, I mean, I, I often wonder. You know, there are a lot of people. We've we've had Robin Banks who, who kicked off. You know, the, the first ever Crunch and Roll. Robin decided to, to keep his name because it, it was a brand. But I often wonder, a bit like Carlos, who um, who's a lovely man, hmm. but his real name yeah. isn't Carlos. At what point did you think oh, Tiger Tim's not for me anymore?
0: I took it with me for years, (laughs) like years. Genuinely, I took it to London. I didn't use it at Capital, but I was on Capital Disney. And they said, we like Tiger Tim. We think it works. So I kept it then. So that was the early noughties. Um, And then I think, to be honest with you, it wasn't really my choice. I would have kept it. And I thought it was quite a nice brand. And then uh, one of the bosses along the way just went, no, choose your real name. It's probably the the station that probably sucked my soul, but we'll probably talk about that later.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's just uh let's just stick with BRMB for a bit because it's it's such an iconic station. Of course, the, the station that you grew up listening to as well. So it must have been incredible for you to, to get that gig. I, is it true that you, whilst at BRB, you produced Tom Ross?
0: Yeah. Uh so I was a producer and presenter. So that... For the six, I think I got a pay rise to seven thousand pounds. Wow! Um, and for, for that, they rinsed me. Like I did everything. Uh, so from production to producing uh, to presenting. So I would uh, eventually i I would get the overnight show. That would be my my thing. Um, and then I would go from there into the other studio and produce Tom Ross on on the breakfast show. Uh, I knew Tom from a long time anyway because he literally lived around the corner from me. Which is probably how I got my foot in the door., uh, so I got Tom to thank for that. And so I produced his show, and uh, I was also, yeah, head of I became head of production, so making the the zips and zaps and jingles and all that wow. kind of stuff. So I was doing everything throughout the day. Uh, but Tom was brilliant. he was brilliant. he was he was a firecracker and you know he'll be free to admit that. um you should definitely get him on the podcast uh because he'll have stories, but he was. We had the mutual respect, so I knew how far to push him, and he knew that if he shouted at me, I'd probably just go, I'm "Not doing it." <laughs> so we had a mutual thing going on.
1: Yeah, he's he's uh, he's certainly a character. Well, we should. He he is on the list, isn't he? To to get on at some point, but maybe uh, maybe in the future. So hang on. So you're doing overnights, and then you're producing breakfast and also making the imaging, all for seven thousand pounds
0: a year. Yeah, I was living the dream. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow! I mean, what a what a day that is. And look, we, we, we as we do with all our guests, we often speak to to people who know the person I'm chatting to, and I won't mention his name, but he knows you very well. Uh, a couple of things that uh, he has asked me to ask you. Uh, firstly,
0: you enjoyed a beer. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah, there was a very uh, a very dark time that I, <laughs> that I went through. Um, but yeah, no, I enjoy beer. I, I mean I'm I'm more I'm more controlled now. Um, but yes, there's there's been there are clips somewhere of me being absolutely wasted on air. Not a BRNB, I will say. Uh this is during my during my London times, but I've definitely on mini disc somewhere, I'll dig it out some someday. But it's me just absolutely wasted on air. It's bad.
1: <laughs> it was a technical problem. You heard something on air you shouldn't have done. Oh yeah. All right, so let's move on. So from BR and B, you then go to Capital.
0: Yeah. So initially, so I went to Capital initially to be a producer. So the group was taken over, the then Capital that it became the Capital Group. Um, and it was taken over. So I was whisked to London to be part of the production hub. So I would make the imaging for all the capital stations there's like red dragon and power and southern and all those and B, of course so i used to do that and um after six months i was like i i don't really enjoy producing because it was like a factory at that point it wasn't it wasn't much fun it wasn't like the creativity that you, you'd think um so then i there was randomly i don't know why but after six months oh i could tell i could tell you why um I'll tell you that in a second. Uh, so the person who was doing overnights at BRMB um, was escorted out. They went, and then I came back. And rather than doing overnights, I was asked to do, I think it was mids at that point. Uh, so yeah, I've done. I think I've done every show on BRMB. So then I came back, and then within three months, Capital called and they said, "We know you made a demo when you was at Capital." And we've heard it and we think it's brilliant. So we'd like you to come here to do overnights. And I, to be honest with you, I, to be, I didn't grow up listening to Capital. So I knew of it, but it wasn't the goal for me. BRMB was always the station for me. And then uh, they offered me a measly sum. It was more than £7,000, but it was a measly sum for living in London on my own, working overnights, Um you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I spoke to John O'Hara at the time because he was like the—he became the group, the group guy. Yeah. And he said, "Look, just ask them for more money." And I was—I still, still am—but I was rubbish at negotiating. And I just said, "I can't, I can't do that." And they went, "Honestly, ask them for more money." And so, a bit more persuasion from Adam Bridge. He—he uh, he called me up. At home one night and he just said Tim listen this is a great opportunity and if you don't ask for more money you're gonna regret this and because of his push I called them and I added I think I added like another five grand I was like I'm gonna push them on this another five grand that'll be amazing and straight away they went yep yeah, not a problem <laughs> I was like oh shit I should have asked for more maybe um but I, at that point, I couldn't. So, yeah, I went down to Capital and I worked there for three years and I did overnights and a show called The Double Top 20 on a Saturday afternoon, so a chart. And then I was like, warm up man for Tarrant and covering Foxy. And it was just, I remember the first day I went to Capital as a presenter and I was sitting on the toilet <laughs> and on, on the third floor. And I remember texting a couple of mates, so Scott Hughes and Gavin Inskip and people, and just saying, I'm sitting on the same shitter as Dr. Fox and Chris (laughs) Tarrant. And that was the thing that blew my mind. I was like, I'm at Capital FM. This is pretty cool. I've made it.
1: Well, I need to to talk uh, uh, about Tarrant because, I mean, he was a legend. And just like you, actually, growing up, I didn't really know much about Capital. That was never a goal for me either, thankfully, because I never got there. But, Hmm. I mean, what was it like working... You know, before Tarrant, being in the in the presence of Tarrant. I mean, was it true that, I'm sure a previous guest said they used to smoke cigars even though it was a smoking ban?
0: Yeah. Uh, so, Tarrant didn't really have any rules. And he genuinely, because he's from from Birmingham as well, from the Midlands, and he was genuinely the nicest person you could ever meet. Professional, but humble. Really, really humble. Um, he would always come in, even ask if you wanted a drink or anything. Just a real proper down-to-earth kind of guy. Funny, of course, and just generous with his time. He was just really nice. Whereas, you know, some some people get a bit diva or egotistical. And at his level, he should have been. But he wasn't. He was just so, so nice. One of the nicest people I've met. And it was the same for... You know what? It was the same for the rest of the team. So everybody on that station were brilliant. So Neil Fox, brilliant guy. Lovely man. Um, Margarita Taylor, fantastic. Uh, Martin Collins, such a lovely man. And everybody on there, they were legends, but I didn't grow up listening to them. So I think because I wasn't scared of them or like, oh, hi, yeah. I wasn't in that that realm or in that state of mind. Um, I think they respected that. Did you enjoy being in London? I did. Yeah, I did. Um, I got to find my own feet because I was only so the second time I went I was 20 I just turned 21. Uh so I was the youngest person on the station. So it was exciting, you know? It was really exciting to be in London and there's so much going on all the time and there's always something to do and there's new ladies on the scene. <laughs> so it was and there's new beers to try. Uh so it was it was good. It was really exciting and I loved it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Because I know when we we chatted to Chris Brooks, um, his his passion for for capital was. I mean, he even though he's not there anymore, he still. If you cut him open, he would bleed capital. I mean, did did, did you have that, or did you still have that long in love for b r b
0: Always BRMB. Uh, I was always looking for the next the next chance to possibly head back. That was always my my goal, and that did happen. Uh, eventually, I did go back, but then of course it all it all changed into what we know it as today but being in London it was great doing those shows and then seeing the changes that came with that and you know all the shows started to change so then you know uh, Chris Brooks and Neil Bentley and uh, Schooley uh, Simon Phillips people like that were all there and it was just a great team to work for Uh, whoever was there whether they were the the old school if you want to call them that or the new school just everyone was lovely and I loved it. It was a great it was a great place to be, and there was a good vibe there. so yeah, it was good.
1: I'm glad you've mentioned um John O'Hara because I think you might be the first maybe second person to mention John's name, but um i hmm. I've, I've had the privilege of meeting John a few times. We've got a mutual friend who we're, we're both very close to.
0: He was a legend as well, wasn't he? Brilliant. Yeah, John O'Hara was brilliant um because like he was he was the 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 working force I believe between, uh, behind Atlantic 252 as far as I know, he knew radio inside out. He was one of those who you just, when he spoke about, listened to, like you, John Myers, like, um, like even like Steve Orchard, people like that. You just you go, yeah, okay, you get radio and you understand it. David Lloyd is on that similar ilk. You know, there's people who really get it and love it.
1: All right, so you spend how many years were you on Capital doing overnights?
0: So I was there for three years. Doing overnights. And then the Australians came. (laughs) And um, if anybody's worked for uh, an Aussie in the UK radio industry, you'll know it's like pulling teeth. Um, In the fact that radio in Australia is brilliant. It's so good and I still listen to it now. But there's different rules. Um, UK radio is a hell of a lot different. And so... Uh, can we mention names on the...
1: Yes, absolutely. We can, mate.
0: Right? Cool. Okay, so uh, you know what? I, there's no holds barred on this. I don't really care anymore, so it's all good. So um, so um, there's uh, the GWR company, GCAP. They came in, they all took over, and they started running things in their own way. Then Capital was ran eventually, after like three or four bosses, by a guy called Scott. I can't remember his last name. Scott Muller. Scott Muller. Yes, absolutely. And um, so at this point, Johnny Vaughan was on the scene, uh, and there was a whole new thing going on with with the output and everything. And it had been through a few changes before that. So yeah, Scott Muller was was on board and he was the most nervous PC I think I'd ever met, ever. Because he had to contend with all these big name Charlies, right? Who were who were just like, This is this is how I do it. You're not gonna tell me what to do. But I was just the kid on the overnights who, um, who? of course, he could go to and go, yeah, don't do that or do this or that sweeper wasn't in the right place, just little things like that. And eventually, um, and it, you know, it happens. After three years, the contract wasn't renewed. But the worst thing was that eventually Scott was asked to leave, I believe. And uh, I sent a text to what I thought was Scott Hughes and I said uh, I said in the text I said ha it always uh, it always comes back around that's karma for you and I had no response and I was like oh what's this what have I done and then I looked at my text and I was like oh I'd send that to Scott Muller Uh, and it was on the same day that he was let go so um, sorry Scott (laughs) And still to this day, no reply? No reply, no. He must have changed his number.
1: <laughs> that is legendary. Well done, Tim. I'm saluting you, my Thanks. friend. That is brilliant. So <laughs> so after Capital, where do you go next?
0: From Capital, uh, Paul Jackson was then in charge of Virgin. So um, he took me under his wing and I then did Virgin overnight. And uh, I did that for... Crikey, that was... Two and a half, three years again. Uh, And soon after I joined, um, Paul left and David Lloyd took over and he liked what I was doing and he kept me on. And then it became absolute when that was taken over. And by that point, I was at my my, like real darkest days. So there's plenty of stories about that. I don't know how much time you have, but I'm happy to talk about anything. Tell us a story, Tim. Okay. Um, Well, so the drinking uh I did a lot of drinking back in the day um and in London it's quite an isolated place although there's so many people there around you it's so isolated um so I had this we had this little club and please don't laugh at this it was cool we called it we thought it was cool we called it the rad pack right <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah that's the response. Um so basically it was it was some people in radio who were working overnights we would then meet up in the day and just drink all day long literally all day long so the pubs were were our office if you will. Um so it's myself Cam Kelly who you've had on the yes. on the podcast um Robin Burke um and uh, occasionally Joel Ross and a few few others, <laughs> and that's what we used to do. We used to just just drink, and then I went through a really bad breakup, and so the drinking for me became a lot more more stronger. Um, hence, why I probably got a reputation for drinking too much. Uh, so during my virgin times was when the breakup kind of happened, and um, God bless him. To this day, you know what? Joel Ross was was basically my savior. He was he took me like he the amount of hugs I've had off Joel Ross was brilliant um and I don't know if you've ever been um uh, had a meal from Joel but he's a brilliant cook an amazing cook and he's very he's very uh very modest about that as well so I used to finish my show at Virgin and then he used to text me and go come over to mine and I did and we used to just I used to just go to see him and he would cook me a meal and uh give me some drink and stuff. And then I used to just have a nap and then head home. And because I broke up with, uh, with a certain girl at that point, I was living with her and her parents. And then because we broke up, I was living on like mates couches for, I think six, seven months altogether. Um, so it became, it became a tough time. And then, um, yeah. So then it became absolute radio and Clive Dickens, um, call me into the office in the morning, and he said, "I've been listening, and you're brilliant." And I said, "Oh, I was expecting like something else, right?" And Clive went, "I think I think you're great, so uh, we want to sign you again for another year." And I don't know why, but well, basically, I just I followed my head, and it just said, and I said to Clive, "I said I really appreciate that, but I I can't live in London anymore. I'm going to kill myself." Not in a suicidal way, but I'm literally drinking myself to death. It's not a good thing. Um, And so I left London at that point. And uh, that was the the end of that, really.
1: Well, uh, that was a a deep story there, Tim, and I appreciate you sharing that. Sorry, mate. No, no, please don't apologize. I genuinely appreciate that. And do you know what? It's funny that because um, we all know Joel as being the clown on a night out, Mm -hmm. you know, but he is a sweet soul.
0: He's the nicest person you could ever meet. Honestly, he's got a heart of gold, that boy. Oh, yeah. You you leave London. Where next then, Tim? Where'd I go? So from London, I went back to BR&B. So that was the third and final time that I would go to the station. And so that was Adam Bridge. Again, God bless him. He, he brought me back. And uh, that was that was when I started doing mid mornings, and that was when I was still on a, You know, I was still drinking a lot. I mean, hands up, I still was, and uh, that's where you'll probably hear stories from like Russ Morris and, and other people. And um, uh, so, yeah, I, w- I worked there, and then what happened at BRMB was it was taken over. So David Lloyd and Phil Riley came in, both radio legends, of course. They both came in. And they wanted to change what BRMB was. And uh, they turned it a different color. Uh, they got rid of the name, the heritage name. They thought it was a way to move forward. And uh, the, who was the who was the PC? Paul Paul K. K?
1: Paul K, yeah. Is that his name? PK, yeah.
0: um. So, young fella, seemed pretty cool. And he decided that he wanted to make his own changes, as any PC would so that's absolutely fine and he said we're not going to renew with you we're going to but we we've got um we've got an opportunity for you if you want to do beacon um and do like the network so it's only a small network at that point so i went to speak to the people at beacon and i just thought it's not it's not for me i don't really want to do this so we talked there about you
1: returning to Let's call it the mighty BRMB because I, I, I'm certainly very proud that I, I I never dreamt of getting on a station the size of BRMB, and it certainly wasn't the size it was when you were there. But the the third time you left, I mean, did you think, oh, you kept bouncing back like a boomerang? Did that feel like the final time for you, or did you think maybe yeah. one day I'll return?
0: Yeah, no, it, it it definitely felt final. So by that point, they had their own direction they were going in. Uh, they were going to do some networking and uh so yeah paul k at that point he called me into the office to do the the whole thing of we're not renewing um and i do remember and i wasn't i thought at this point in my head as soon as he said that i wasn't going to get angry i wasn't going to get funny about it but i just stood up and walked towards the door and he went oh where are you going i went well you just said my contract's not being renewed what do you want me to what do you want, do you want me to sit down and have a chat with you He's like, oh yeah, yeah, come on, sit down. We'll we'll have a chat. We'll we'll talk about things. I went, but you just told me the the contract's not being renewed, so there's nothing more that I really need to say, uh, and that was it. Uh, and um, but then I did sit down because obviously, if you told that, the first thing is disappointment, especially the station that you grew up listening to, and you always wanted to be on. and And I just knew at that point when he said that, I was just like, okay, this is this is the final time. There's no coming back at this point. They've got their own direction. That's all cool, but you know we left on amicable terms. I shook him by the hand and just said, uh, "Cheers" or whatever. And then, um, and then I just yeah, I wasn't interested in the beacon thing. It didn't interest me. It didn't spark me in any way. So I was just like, I don't, I don't see myself being here. So that was that. Tim, because obviously you know being a very
1: young, fresh, and I'm going to say a good looking chap, you know, and not anymore. No, you are, and you were—you know—you were in your prime as Tiger Tim. You must have had some great times uh, whilst you were at BRMB, especially. Let's not forget on your hometown station, you were famous in your home city.
0: Yeah, oh, mate, it was so good um, in many ways. Um, but in—I'm in, not even going to call them relationships because it didn't last that long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in everything that I did, uh, and and the thing is, even now. Occasionally, if I meet someone from Birmingham, and they, you know, if they ask about what I do or whatever, uh, and I, I say about Br and B, and I mention if I mention Tiger Tim, they go, "No way, are you Tiger Tim?" you be like, "Yeah." So it, it did. It worked. The whole thing worked. Um, but yeah, great times. Great times in Birmingham. I mean, it's it's my home city. It's where it's where my family are. You know, it's 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 where I got the bug for radio it's where brmb was fucking brilliant right it was a great station and just to hear that power coming out the speakers it was brilliant so to work there yeah it had it had a lot of benefits (laughs) you know what i'm talking about i
1: know exactly what you're talking about Tim (laughs) legend
0: i've got 15 kids (laughs) (laughs) or cubs (laughs) When you were at BRB,
1: was that at a time when they did it was called um, it was the coolest seats in town, wasn't it?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh which what one, one they try and sweep under the under the carpet every so often. So the idea of the competition was uh, listeners would sit on a block of ice. Uh, the one who would last the longest would end up uh, having a sofa. Uh, stroke armchair on stage at BR&B's party in the park. That was the idea. So quite a cool competition. However, what happened was, and nobody's ever taken the blame for this. Uh, whoever ordered the ice, or it might be, it might have been the ice company. To be fair, because they might have got cross wires. They didn't order your standard water frozen. <laughs> they brought along. Uh, Blocks of uh, dry ice. Now, if you know about dry ice, you're not meant to touch it, right? That's why. That's the thing. You don't touch dry ice, especially for a long period of time, uh, because the temperature is insane. Um, It freezes roses. That's what they used to do on the school programs, right? Put it in a jar. So the listeners went ahead with it. So I was upstairs. It was a radio cafe downstairs. And they set up all these blocks of ice, and every so often they would cross over and and go to them. So all the listeners sat on there, and of course, because they're thinking it's just ice, they're just like, yeah, it's it's a bit cold, I get it, that's fine. But eventually, people are like, I'm I'm burning. I'm actually burning here. Um, Eventually, they had to stop the competition because people's arses were frozen literally frozen right <laughs> probably got rid of a bit of cellulite at the same time which is cool um and then chaos absolute chaos people would take it to hospital uh i th- i think if memory serves, I think there were skin grafts. <laughs> it was... it was Honestly, the insurance on that, if they had it, I bet it was insane.
1: I'm glad you talked about Party in the Park there briefly. Actually, before we get on to Party in the Park, after those people had mm. to be rushed to hospital, did anybody actually win the competition?
0: Um, Yeah, they probably got to meet Hearsay or whoever... <laughs> was, whoever was on stage <laughs> going. I think... Uh, do you know what? Actually... If this, if my memory does serve me correctly, I believe they were offered golden circle tickets. So not even on stage. I think they were offered like front row. I think that was it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're scarred for life. But here's nine one one, and here's a pen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we, a talk pen. we talk about party in the park because, of course, they were huge as well,
0: weren't they? What did what was it like being part man. of those? Oh man, it was so good. Um, so the party in the parks. Uh, my uh, my first um, experience of that was was BR&B. Um So I would go on stage and introduce an act, and it was insane. Like just seeing a sea of people. Uh, that was the first time I'd experienced that kind of level. But when I went, when I worked at Capital and did their party in the park, it was like a hundred thousand people. And that sea was just even bigger than I'd ever seen before in my life. And it the, the atmosphere was just electric. You could feel just the wave of energy from the back coming all the way to the front. And it wouldn't, you know what it's like. If you're doing anything on stage in front of a, a crowd of people, or a big crowd of people, it doesn't matter what you say. Generally, like you could say, look, the sun's in the sky. People go, hey. Yeah. So you just constantly get that energy coming towards you. And it felt, Amazing. Uh and you know, I've been very privileged to do quite a few things in my radio career, as I'm sure we all have. So uh like I was the warm-up DJ. I was um I was asked to do the warm-up DJ for Anastasia randomly um at Wembley Stadium. Wow. So I was on stage at Wembley DJing, and I, I I had um I took the opportunity to go, hello Wembley. <laughs> you know, of course it's just, you did. It's little things like that, and you're just like, this is insane. I did T4 on the beach. Uh, when that was in Western Supermare, when I was in in Bristol. You know, that's what made radio so exciting. So yeah, so at BRMB, there were all, all sorts of uh, different... And they had funny competitions. Of course, the most famous is the Two Strangers on a Wedding thing. That happened. Uh, they did quite a cool concept called the Million Pound Game as well, um, where I don't think anybody ever won Uh but as a producer I had to I had to run and call this number every hour and that was that was a crazy competition. There was just so many different things that made BRMB stand out to other stations. And I remember towards the end of my time at BRB for the final time, um there was going to be this big concert uh in Birmingham city center. And there was something happened there was no crowd control for some reason. It was a free concert and it was christmas time and we were all getting ready to bring on we all had our scripts of who it is we were going to bring on uh whichever band or artist it was at that time but something happened where too many people turned up and it just went out of control i remember we were doing the warm-up getting ready for it and then at some point i just remember being ushered off stage and literally and it's not even a joke literally being chucked into a car to a taxi or a private car, I can't remember what it was. And they chucked me in. Uh, It was me, Dan Morrissey, and Russ, I believe. They literally chucked us in and went, you've got to go. It's about to get out of control. And we were whisked off. We had no idea what was going on. And it came to fruition that there were just too many people there and people were being crushed. And it was quite frightening. uh, Because there's a lot of young kids there, of course, wanting to see their favourite acts. So I remember that being the last... Thing that I did at BRMB, um, and that's that's kind of scary, but almost exciting as well.
1: Get rushed off in a car like a celeb, there, Tim. Yeah,
0: do you know what I mean? Brilliant. Cunty, uh, cunt, cunty. Oh,
1: we apologise. We just play records
0: all eight, nine. When we finish, I'm not drunk. I've had a couple of drinks. I'm not drunk. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so Lewis Clark, who was in Birmingham at heart at that point. He heard about me leaving again, and uh, he basically put me in touch with Heart in Bristol, uh, in the West Country. So uh, that's where I went. So I was offered um, drive time at Heart. It was just Bristol and Bath was separate then. Right. Um, so I was offered that, and I did Bristol. Uh, so I did Heart Drive there, and then they merged it, and then I did the network for Heart Drive in the West Country.
1: So, forgive me, my, my timeline might be completely wrong, Tim. But were you mine too? I'm still drunk. <laughs> yeah, so was I. Don't worry. So, um, were you then reunited with your pal Cam? Because, of course, Bristol—you know, the place
0: he loves. Yeah. So, Cam was. Where was Cam at that point? I think he he was at Red Dragon, right. I believe. Yeah. So he was over. He was just over the bridge. Now, I don't know how well you know Cam. Cam is one of my best mates in the whole world. And you know, he's I don't know where he is at the moment, it's probably in Q8 or something. I don't know where he is. Um, every time I call him, he's it, just like, I can't talk at the moment. I'm in camp. It's like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh so I have no idea what that means. Um, so he uh yeah, he he's he's quite lazy in the fact that we we wouldn't meet up as much because he would always say, Oh, come over the bridge. And I'd be like, you can come into Bristol you know you've got loads of friends here as well but he never would so I wouldn't see him as much which was a shame Um but yeah so uh, but but being in Bristol I made some new friends and it was a new lifestyle and Bristol is amazing I love Bristol if there's anywhere else I could live in the UK I think Bristol would be it
1: yeah, Bristol's amazing funny enough Cam did text me and we've become I guess friends a stretch but but, you know mates having done Crunch and Roll and he he did text me a couple of weeks back and we talked about having a beer in Bristol so Tim Tiger Tim Oh yeah it won't happen
0: (laughs) Probably not (laughs) though So I'm I'm just going to put it out there it won't happen happen, Did he mention me in the podcast? Did he mention me? Do you know what it was so long ago I I can't remember he didn't I can't remember He didn't
1: (laughs) He talked a lot about he talked a lot about Big John Um, Oh yeah (laughs) Of course So um you're in you're in Bristol. You're doing hearts. Yep. I'm trying to work out in my head from the type of presenter that you are, Tim.
0: If you did, you enjoy doing hearts. Well, here was the station that sucked everything out of me. <laughs> um, so I went there, and so they, so they. I used to have a. I'm not going to say a wacky side because that's not true. I wasn't like let's make a prank call. I wasn't that kind of presenter. Never have been. Uh, I like to think I'm a good, solid music jock who can just every so often say something that might raise a smile. That's what I like to think, right? Warm, friendly, that kind of guy. Um, so I went to heart and uh, the the boss and Lewis were just like, yeah, no, no, it's not like the heart that you imagine. You can basically kind of do what you want and just be a, just be a little bit more out there. You don't have to be the the that was this is his seal kiss from a rose again kind of guy uh you could actually do a little bit more so i had a travel presenter uh sam york and he and he and i used to do it it wasn't a duo show but i used to bring him in and just play around and do some funny bits and mess about and at first that was fine they were like yeah this is this is great this is good and the 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 figures went through the roof and it was a really good good ratings at that point but then bit by bit they chip away Uh, And they were like, okay, Sam's just going to do travel now. I was like, okay, that's fine. I understand. That's fine. Uh, And then bit by bit, they went, oh, Sam's not going to do travel for you anymore. And then bit, uh, it just went on and on and on. And eventually they sucked everything out of me. They were like, that link's too long. That wasn't a crunch and roll. Like all the, the, tiniest little bits like why did you breathe there you'd be like because I needed to breathe for fuck's sake <laughs> it was just stupid stupid things you know what I mean um, and it and and then there was a point where my boss at the point uh, at that time he he disappeared and I can't remember I think he broke his leg or something something happened and he disappeared for like three months and so Lewis Clark came in and he overlooked the station and he was doing the, the Snoop sessions. Now, we all hate Snoops, let's be honest, right? Because one week they say this, the next week they say, do this what I told you not to do. And it was it was always, you know, contradictory. And I just remember, Lew, I you know, I like Lewis, uh, but I do remember he he used to come out with these analogies. He'd be like, what the f- what are you, What are you talking about? Like he used to say, don't forget to plant the seeds so the rose garden can grow and stuff like that. you would be like... <laughs> What do you want me to do? (laughs) Just just tell me what you want me to fucking do. Um, And then the best one, I I said to him, I said, "I said, listen, I'd like to do um, just one show on the network overnight. Put me on an overnight, just one night." And he went, "Tim, before you do that, Uh, no," he said, "Tim, before uh, before you get to fly a Boeing, you have to fly a private jet." And I went, "Just say no, (laughs) for fuck's sake." You know Tim, Tim,
1: thank you for reminding me why I don't miss radio anymore. <laughs> I don't, sorry, that, that comes across completely wrong. I love radio, but I don't miss that shit. I don't... I, I genuinely do not miss that. I don't miss it.
0: I don't understand what's in PC's minds. It's almost like they prod you with a stick and they want you to growl and then they're like, oh, I'll back off. And it's... It's, I've never, I've never been the ego. I've never been somebody who goes like throwing tapes or anything. I've never been that kind of guy. I just, in a snoop session, I'll just go, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. And then just ignore it. Right. I think we've all done that. Yeah. And then eventually, and when you do ignore it, they're like, yeah, that's perfect. I'm glad you took on board what I said. You're like, yeah, I didn't.
1: <laughs>
0: Easiest way. Yeah. Well, there, there, there's,
1: I mean, Lewis was never a fan of mine, but um, I, I genuinely don't know why. Um, that's probably a lie, probably to do a drink. But um, there was a there was a boss that he he was very close to who we had a snoop session once when I was at two ten FM and the snoop session was all about how he didn't like the way I said sunshine and I'm like what do you mean I, I, I'm from Hull sunshine that's how I say it and we had this whole forty five minute chat and I'm you know when you're walking out going like, you're petrified to say sunshine live on air oh
0: yeah he told me I couldn't say my own name properly. <laughs> So you do the math. <laughs> my fucking name.
1: <laughs> All right, let Honestly. let let's move on from heart. Um.
0: So next, I mean, you got to TFM. Yes. So, uh, from from. Oh, so uh, very quickly. So the last bit on the heart thing. So when my contract wasn't being renewed, the boss called me and he's like so look, we're not renewing your contracts. I went, uh, okay, I was used to it by now. <laughs> okay, okay, why? Uh, and he said, we don't, this is brilliant. We don't like the way you read the traffic and travel. And I went, what the fuck are you on about? And he said, yeah, the, it's like, it's too it's too conversational. I said, yeah, because I'm talking to people like you would do in a link. It's traffic and travel. Do you know what I mean? He's just like... Yeah, that's why we're not renewing your contract. I went that's a fucking lame excuse. Um and so that's I think that's the only time I got angry with a PC. Um for giving me just just say look we found someone else. Do you know what I mean? It's not a problem. I get it it's radio, right? But it was quite patronizing. So so from heart I go up to the northeast and yeah, work for TFM. So was this Bauer uh, in 2012? Yes, it was, yeah. So I went there and I was doing mid-mornings. Um, so that was my first time really up to the northeast and I quite liked it. It was nice. So I, I the first place I moved to, because it was a really quick turnaround, um, I moved to Stockton-on-Tees. Now, I don't know if you've been to Stockton-on-Tees or any of your listeners have. It gets a, it gets a bad rap. You, you know, it's, it's a tough area. Uh, in many ways, financially and the people. (laughs) But but I liked it. Um, Unfortunately, after three months at TFM, I go on holiday with my then girlfriend. And when I'm on holiday, I turn my phone off because I'm on holiday. I remember turning it on the last day just before we were about to fly back, just so I could check the flight details, all that kind of stuff. A barrage of texts. This is three months into the gig. A barrage of texts. So sorry to hear the news. So call me if you need me. Um, I'm so sorry. Uh, Let me know you're okay. And I was like, who's died? What the hell's going on, right? Eventually, uh, you have a voicemail. So I call it up. And it's my boss at the time, Alex Rowland. And uh, there's another voicemail from Chris Pegg, who was running Metro. And it was, um, Tim, just let you know, the station's gone they've merged it with metro so it's all one station now uh they've closed the doors so give me a call when you get back into the uk and we'll have a chat so i did well i called i called him called him from there and uh and they said look you've got a contract so you are still contracted for another 12 months i think it was so you're gonna get paid to sit on your ass i went cool Ace. <laughs> and then that's what happened. And then I was doing cover shifts at Metro as well. Um, So they had to pay extra. So it wasn't part of my contract because I was contracted to TFM. Uh So I was doing cover shows on Metro and then eventually taking over like the Saturday nights or something. But the rest of the week, I was doing nothing. Say that, I went to the pub. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
0: so for, that's what I did. That's why I did in the northeast. But you you, you stayed up there. So
1: after TFM, yeah. and then next is Star Radio.
0: So th- no, this is what happened. So there's an, there's an interim bit here, which has probably probably disappeared into the vagueness uh, of radio. Um, so whilst working at Metro Stroke TFM under contract under Bauer, there was something going on at Viking FM where they were about to. Uh, change the breakfast show. So it was going to be, so they said, oh, can you just cover for us like on the interim? I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's okay. And they teamed me up for a Saturday morning just to kind of test us. They teamed me up with a girl called Steph and she does impressions. She's quite popular, I believe, on social media now. So it was one of those Bauer things of like, here's one person and another. They've never met but they'll get on. Right. It was one of them. Yeah. So they chuck us into a studio and we make a demo and then they put us on Saturday mornings on Viking. So that didn't last too long. Uh, and eventually while, while we were doing this, they, they started to, uh, disassemble the breakfast show. So Jim went first. Yeah. Uh, and then I was asked to cover with Rosie. So it was me and Rosie doing, doing the show, uh, the breakfast show. And then, um, And then eventually, they got rid of Steph. Uh, Sorry, they got rid of uh, Rosie. And I I genuinely knew nothing about this. I didn't know what their plan was. I didn't know what was happening. All I knew that was I was there to cover this little uh, slot for three months. Now, because it was breakfast in Hull, and I lived in the Northeast, I stayed like Alan Partridge in a travel lodge (laughs) um, for three months in Hull. Uh, So I did that and did the breakfast show. And I was just hit every single day with a barrage of abuse. Every single day. Now, I'm not a breakfast show host. I know I'm not, right? But I was there just to keep keep it on air, right? That's what I was doing. And the amount of texts I used to get through, emails saying, this guy's really shit. Who's this guy? Um, bring back Jim and Rosie. Hashtag Jim, not Tim. All this kind of shit, right? <laughs> So I was getting it in the neck every single day, uh, and so he's trying to. You know what it's like if you get a shitty text, you're just like, oh, "This is, this is shit for the rest of the show." It's yeah, only six oh two, right? So I get all this for three months nonstop, and every day I used to say, like, to the bosses, "Just say, can somebody like just filter this or something? Because I don't need to hear this, right?" I had no support. Nothing was going on. The last day of cover, so it was meant to be. Sean Goldsmith and Becky oh forgive me I forget her surname so it was Sean and Becky they used to do a show together
1: yeah that's right they were signed to do breakfast at Viking weren't they and then she she turned around and said I don't want to move to Hull
0: that's right yeah so she said no I'm not going to do it and then Sean was going to come and he did in the end so it was the last day it was the last day between me doing the show on the Friday and then Sean starting on the Monday I think and John Hardin, literally my last link he came in the mic went down went into network as it does uh, and John Hardin said oh can you stick around for a little bit I went well it's it's kind of like my last day I just want to go home really I'm kind of bored of living in a travel lodge I just want to go and he said no stick around John Dash is on his way uh, to come and see you I was like okay fine by this point I'd already been in talk because I thought what's my next move what's my next career move what am I going to do yeah. So I'd been in talks with Star uh, at that point, so a UKRD station. And John Dash came driving across and he put me in the office and he said, thank you very much for covering that. We really appreciate it. Um, and we'd like you to do Hallam Drive as your new show. I said, what, What to cover or something? He went, no, that we'd like you to do Hallam Drive. That's your new gig. I said, John, I'm not being funny. It's the last day. And you've not told me a thing. Unfortunately, I've already said yes to Star, and he said, "Ah, oh, don't worry about that. Just tell them you're 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 going to Hallam, and they'll understand. It'll be fine." I said, "I can't." I said, "For the last three months, I've had no support. You've shown me nothing of loyalty. I've basically been thrown into the lion's den, facing that every single day. And you've come to me on the last day to offer me a gig, and you want me to turn down another gig. In the way that I've been treated, it can't happen." And I'm loyal, and I can't. I've already said yes, so I can't do it. He Went oh, just, just say no, and they'll understand. It'll be fine. He said I can't. I'm really sorry, I can't. But I really appreciate the time, and thanks for coming over. And that was it. So yeah, I went to Star at that point.
1: Was Robin Banks at Star when you went there?
0: This is where the the bomb was ticking in Star. <laughs> they so um, I'm sure. Did Robin cover this
1: in the podcast? Um, no, I don't think he did. A little bit.
0: Time, no, okay. Time. So, what happened was, so UKRD um, decided to make changes, and we'll go into UKRD's policies and, and their values and all that kind of stuff in a second. This is no holds barred, by the way. I'm just going to let you know. I love it. Happens. I love it.
1: This is what we want. And if
0: you have any questions about anybody and I can cover it, I'm happy to do so. It's good. Um, so, yeah, so UKRD started uh, getting rid of people. So, at star at that point, it was Robin Banks, uh, Ditchy yeah. who was doing a show. So Ditchy was the first to go, I believe. Um, so the, the head of sales at that point, um, she decided to make change. I don't know what was... They didn't have a boss. I think the, whoever the boss was wasn't there for some reason. So the head of sales decided to make these changes. No, Robin was the boss. Of course he was. Robin was the boss, uh, and then the changes just started to happen. What the ins and outs were, I have no idea. Um, So Ditchy went, and then Robin was asked to leave as well. Uh, So he went. So now it was going to be a brand new team. It was going to be a brand new lineup for Star Radio Darlington. Um, And I remember the first day I walked into that building, my heart kind of sank in the fact that I was like, I've just turned down a Hallam gig for this. Right? So it was a terraced house. Uh, no acoustics in the studio, so it was like echoing to buggery. Uh, the desk was uh, creaking, knobs were falling off, and it was it was awful. I was like, what have I done? But I'd already said yes, so I was like, okay, fine. Uh, so the light, the new lineup would have been um, Anthony Collins on Breakfast, yeah. who I worked with at TFM, lovely guy. Somebody else was going to do mids, and then I was going to do Drive, um and that was a new exciting lineup so we all went in and my god it was like teaching uh, like the 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 15 year old me to the to to these uh, apparently qualified staff of how to do radio they would do these things on air and you'd be like what the fuck are you doing it's it's this is how we've always done it yeah, but it sounds awful. What are you doing? They would do all these like things like, and I hate OBs anyway. I think OBs are a waste of time. I, I'm I'm not a fan of them, right? But OBs, when they're in a car showroom, you're like, why are we, why are we here? The clients paid for it. Yeah? What the what's the listener getting from this? Nothing. They're not gonna buy a brand new Hyundai. It's not gonna happen because we're on the radio today. It's not gonna happen. Oh, but the clients paid for it. You're just like, this is insane. I just
1: want to touch on your 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 hatred for OBs because I, I remember, I, and I, I'm with you on that, I, I enjoyed it because people used to think that we were famous. Well, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, okay. But I, I, I fully understand why there were never anything for the listener at all. And it was all about the client pain. I'll, I'll never forget myself and Juliana. We, we, you know, when we were doing breakfast at br we went to a car showroom to do the breakfast mm-hmm. show. And we did, we did the £1,000 minute. We all did. And we were going to do the thousand pound minute live from the showroom and we got there at six o'clock and Mm -hmm. I thought there's a lot a lot of team here there's a lot of staff from the car place here and I spoke to the manager he said oh yeah he said "Uh, I've brought in extra staff because there's going to be thousands of people turning up and I looked at Julian ah. and I thought he's got the wrong end of the stick here. <laughs> like we're not Elton John. We're not going to pull a crowd in. It was just, I was, and then the rest of the show was just so painful. I spent the full four hours trying to hide from that manager.
0: But what? But this is it, right? So yes, you'll get people turning up, but they're the listeners with the cake. Do you know what I mean? That you're not going to eat. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're they're the ones who you know uh, you know have got got the the branded T-shirt on or whatever. But you're not you Obi's. Unless there's a reason for it. For example, um, you know, if you're doing uh, like a a holiday giveaway and you're at the destination, this is what you can win. That makes sense. I understand that. If you're giving away a car at a car showroom, absolutely. Fantastic idea. I love that because you get in the atmosphere and you can talk about the car. But when you're just going to the butchers because they've paid for it, you know, and you just you're just chatting to John, who's got one-word answers uh, about how you cut pork. It's a bit like, what's this? Do you know what I mean? We're having a party. Oh yeah. Eventually, the MD at the time, he said, "Oh, do you want to be the the PC, the program controller?" I went, "Yeah," but let me fucking do it properly. Let me let me actually take the reins and take you in the, the right direction. And so he did. He trusted me to do that. Um, but because it's UKRD, UKRD had this, it's not a thing anymore, of course it isn't. Um, so UKRD had these values, right? And it was it was all about autonomy. So we're not like the big groups. We will let you, as individual stations, do what you want to do, which was bittersweet in itself. So they said that's what would happen. Um, but every so often they'd make a group decision. So there used to be this thing like once a month or something like that, where uh, they'd say this Sunday at 10 a.m. we're going to play this Christian message. And I went, what? (laughs) They said, oh, yeah, everybody in the group is doing it. I went, yeah, but we're autonomous. So that means I can say no. As a PC, I can say I'm not going to play that. They went, oh, no, they've, they've paid for it nationally. And I was like, this is insane. Like, you can't have one rule and then break it. You just can't do that. And these kind of things used to creep in all the time, right? So the music was never autonomous. Um, and there used to be like all sorts of weird. Then the, the amount of times I heard they might be giants, you'd be like, Fuck me, man. This is like, this is just a novelty song. Play it every so often as a spice hit, fine, but don't play it every bloody day. So it was little things like that. They used to throw in their little kind of niches you'd be like what what are you doing but as PC you had a few benefits so you used to have these group conferences and they were in like suave places and there was free drink which is great for me <laughs> um <so laughs> I used to be at these conferences and just I think I used to just I think I made a, a rod for my own back I used to just argue all the time and just say why are you doing that? That's a silly idea but all the other UKRD station bosses were like oh William this is amazing thank you so much for doing this thank you for being on our side and I was I was always unsettled with it. Now, for me, there was a point, and I'm happy to go into this, right? If you want to cut it out, do, but I'm happy to just put it on record. Go right? on, Tim, go on. So there's this point of my boss um, just wouldn't listen to what I was trying to make. So at this point, I made the figures like double uh, and the figures were doing really well because we made it like, we tried to make it like a proper radio station. But there were bits that used to come in or he used to say to me, Tim, why have you not done this or why are we not putting that on air? So one of his ideas was, oh, Tim, what we're going to do is we're going to get on for a week. We're going to get the sales team on air as presenters to sell Christmas ads. And I said, you're not. And he said, "He said, oh, no, we are. I'm the MD and, and that's what we're going to do. And I was like, but why? It doesn't make sense. He went, oh, just so we can sell the adverts. And I said, you don't do that on the radio. You do- If you're going to put an advert in the adverts, fine. Like call our sales team, fine. But you're not getting the sales team who aren't radio presenters to come on air and say, call me and we'll do this for you. We're not going to do that. A lot of these things went against my wishes, right? So bit by bit, I was just like, this is insane. So I went to, because there was this whole thing of open and honest. That was this whole thing of UKRD. That was one of their many values. Um, and so I went to the the bigger bosses and I went, I'm not being funny, but like he's put me in charge of this and it's not working in the way. And uh there are some times where I feel almost bullied in a way, like the way he was doing things behind my back and stuff. We meant to be a team, not like, you know, pushing each other aside. And um it got to a point where I just I couldn't take it anymore. And we we kind of we we agreed a way to part ways. And I was just like, yeah, that's absolutely fine. But then by this point, I knew it was coming to it, coming to an end. And for me, I felt really, really bad for the team who were left in this (laughs) hellhole in the fact that they were in September, and I can remember this vividly, mid-September, I'm probably thinking the 15th, 16th of September, the MD had decided that they were going to do Christmas Day on the radio for one whole day (laughs) they would play non-stop Christmas songs Uh, they would have Christmas games the sales team once again would go on air and promote Christmas so they could sell adverts and promotions and uh, I just remember just going this is this place is going to close this place is it's just up the wall it's fucked right and it did it happened eventually um even though pre pre to that william Rogers and his team would come in and go oh no don't worry we'll, we'll always look after you star radio we'll always look after you we'll always be there for you we look after our stations but of course we all knew by that point i'm about to sell all of ukrd uh to to the Bauer network so um so by the point i left um bless him david green at minster fm gave me a few cover shifts and then eventually uh i got to do uh drive time, home time, whatever you want to call it. So I I got a lot of respect for David Green. He's a a brilliant man, very clever man. And um, it just got to a point of that was the end of UKRD. David Green and Ben Fry and everybody in the Minster FM team were left without nothing, as were all the other UKRD stations, of course. And David took it upon himself with Ben Fry, who's a very clever businessman, and said, you know what, we'll create our own station. We don't need bowel. we don't need UKRD, we don't need them. And uh, that's where we are today. So York Mix Radio was launched two years ago. And uh, yeah, it's doing good. Do you still enjoy it? Yes, yes and no. Um, I I enjoy being left to my own devices. David Green, uh, I like to think, uh, I think anyway, he respects me and he knows of you know, of, of what it is that I've done. So yeah. he respects that. Of course, he's still the boss. So if he says like, oh, let's do something different, then he's the boss. That's absolutely fine. Do I enjoy it? Not as much as I used to. I, I think I lost the love of it um, when I went to Star Radio. I think that was a point of like, I need something else. I need to do something else because the opportunities are dying. There's not much left. Any opportunities there are, they will go to somebody else. You know, um, so there's probably probably not a chance of me getting it anymore. So, you know, I mean, you know what it's like. You've been in it long enough that you know that it used to be. You go from pillar to post. I go from this station to this station. Oh, I've just lost my job there. I'll go to this station, but yeah. that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And it didn't happen for a long time. Um, so, whether I enjoy it or not, yeah, I like I like keeping my hand in because I love radio and I'll always love radio. But it's not my be all and end all now. So now, like, my biggest thing is i i make money from doing card tricks that's my life well, right that's what i do now. tim
1: i want to talk about that so i mean we all we, we've all seen you on, on on facebook you know becoming this successful magician mm. <laughs> i genuinely have always had a fascination with magic and i you know i think it's incredible what you guys do was magic something that you always did or did you come to star and go oh god i need to do something else hang on there's a magic book by paul daniels let's read up on that
0: <laughs> I've got that down here. Um no, I yeah, no, I've always done it. So I've I've done magic since I was seven. So my passions in life were always magic and radio. That was all my my things. I never got onto magic, but that's a different story. Um and I I've always done it, but like I said, towards the start of the podcast, I was um actually quite shy. So I'm happy sitting behind a mic and just cracking on. My confidence was always like magic was always my crutch to kind of uh, introduce myself to people. But I was so shy that I wouldn't actually perform. Um, And then throughout my whole life, through my teen years, uh, into my 20s and into my uh, 30s as well, I just I wouldn't perform for people. I've got a massive collection that on video you can see behind me. um, But I uh, never performed professionally, just didn't do it. I was too shy to do it. And then what happened was, basically, my wife, um, she saw all of this. I mean, you can see it, John, right? There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot, right? There's a hell of a lot of magic stuff everywhere. And she said, either do something with this crap that you've got or get rid of it. So it was an ultimatum, but uh, the push me in the right direction. I like it. It's a good skill. Yeah, it was good. It It was the push that I needed. So I went, okay. I'll prove, yeah. Uh, so I, um, I did it. So at 20, uh, end of 2015, 2016, start of 2016, I bit the bullet, did my first wedding fair, performed for people, loved it and just haven't stopped since. So yeah, this is my main thing now.
1: And hypnotherapy as well, of course, you know, Paul McKenna, um, mm. there's a connection there. Have you ever met Paul McKenna? Because of course he was radio and then then went on to be famous doing that.
0: Of course. Uh so yeah, no, I've never I've never met Paul. Um I'd like to. I know a few people who who know him from from capital days. Uh but yeah, so hypnotherapy is the other thing that I do. So again, I used to do hypnosis as entertainment, so like the the silly side of it, right? Um and then eventually in my head I was just like so I I started that in Bristol at Heart. So I was like uh, I had, I'd I'd rather help people out with ailments or or issues that they have rather than making them look silly or bark like a dog or dance like Elvis, right? So I I did a I did a full-on course um, where it was both practical and modular and uh, theory. So I did I did that for a whole year and then qualified. Quali- there's not really a qualification of hypnotherapy, but I qualified in inverted car comm- I got a certificate of <laughs> hypnotherapy, uh, which you can print off the internet. And uh, that was it. So I, I started doing that. So I set up a therapy room in Bristol. Then obviously wherever I've moved to, I've set up a therapy room. So I still do that and still do, um, occasional Zoom hypnotherapy as well. I'd rather do it face-to-face. But yeah, it's great. It's great to see the changes in people. It's really good.
1: Did you learn to hypnotize people so that you could hypnotize yourself so that you would enjoy heart?
0: <laughs> I'm not a miracle worker. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Now Tim, before we get on to the voiceover bits that mm. we like to conclude Crunch and Roll episodes with, um, I asked this question to to most guests that we get on. who would you like to hear on crunch and roll which which radio person would you like to listen to?
0: So you've already had a lot of my friends on, uh, which is good. Um, so if you've not spoken to him yet the 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 one guy who is now my best mate and somebody that I admire, completely fantastic broadcaster. And I used to listen to every night before I joined BRNB. If you've not had him on already, uh, is Scott Hughes. If you've not spoken to him yet, he will have some amazing stories. So yeah, if you if you get a chance to speak to him, that would be fab. But I think you've spoken to everyone else that I know. I would have said Cam, but Cam's been on. Done, yeah, yeah. Russ would be fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, Russ is brilliant. And he's he's seen me at my best and my worst. He's seen... <laughs> He's seen both sides.
1: One day, maybe. Uh, one day. So he would be good. He's on the list. He, have, you, have, you ever, have, you ever, have you ever been on the podcast? Have you ever done it? Do you know, that was an idea that we floated. Then we realised that ugh, I'm fairly dull, really. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was quite similar. Sure, that's not true. I, I drank a lot. I, I, I worked with two amazing guys, you know. Um, pretty boring, really. But yeah, we t- we floated the idea, yeah. didn't we? But um yeah, may- maybe
0: one day we just need to find the one right. The-
1: we need to- maybe if we get Doctor Fox
0: to oh, if you if you got if you honestly if you got Neil Fox on, I'm sure the podcast would be like in five parts because the the man's a legend, right? He's absolutely, and he's brilliant.
1: I, when I met my wife, because of course I wasn't the real Foxy, but I've been known Foxy throughout my career. And my mm. wife, she went home to tell her parents that she was dating Foxy from the radio. And her mum turned around and went, don't you think it's a little bit old for you? She thought she, she was <laughs> seeing Dr. Fox. <laughs> right, as always, um, we get our artist to finish the pod by reading the, uh, the outro. Have did you, you just d- call
0: me an artist?
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> did I? Yeah. Oh, Sorry. You're an artist in my eyes, Tiger Tim. Piss Uh, artist. (laughs) Piss artist. (laughs) The best. We always get our (laughs) guests uh, to (laughs) to conclude. Have you done, you must have done voiceover work.
0: Yeah, okay. So I've never, you know, like radio presenters have in their minds that they're all voiceovers. Um, As a former producer, the amount of people I had to just sit there and go, why are you saying it like that? That's really weird. So. I've never pushed myself as a voiceover. Yes, I've been asked to do them, but it's not something that I go, I'm a voiceover. Do you know what I mean? So, I have done them, but it's not I think it's you, not my cup of tea. You have done TV though. I've done TV. Yeah, I've done TV. I've got the um I haven't got the face for radio, uh even though that's what people say. Uh yes, yeah, so I did. Yeah, in my time in London, I did uh I did the shopping channels, which was fun. Uh, I did Quizmania on ITV, which again was a late night kebab eating type show. Uh, yeah, done all sorts of bits of TV here and there, which is, you know, it, again, it was never my thing that I wanted to do. Uh, I was in the, the final two to host the uh, the National Lottery. Uh, I was bitten by some guy called OJ Borg, Borg, Borgie, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then, also the other one was... Uh, I was going to be the new CBeebies presenter. That never came off. Not bitter. Probably because I had a can of carlin in my hand or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's really good on camera, but he does smell of booze. He's <laughs> <laughs> like me uncle. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Tim, <clears throat> thank you so much for being on Crunch and Roll it's been brilliant
0: thank you for asking me I mean little old me I didn't genuinely I've been listening to the podcast and there's the, the big names you've had on I was like nah they'll never ask me but I'm, I'm genuinely honoured that you did so thank you
1: mate you've been on some big stations you've, you've got a, a great career so thank you so much for sharing that can you please Tiger Tim take us away with the outro
0: you've been listening to Crunch and Roll with me Tim Litchfield if I'm Lewis Clark you wouldn't, I wouldn't have said my name correctly subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as they drop Crunch and Roll is a 969 media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Bavosky did I say your name right? no does anyone say your name right? no